Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, good morning, Abundant Life Church. How are you guys doing today? Wow, that was excellent. Well done. Uh, My name is Bob Tim. I'm the lead student pastor here at Abundant Life, and I am so excited that you're here, that you're a part of this series with us. Wanna welcome you. If you're in Sandy or Vancouver, if you're here in Happy Valley, watching online, listening to a podcast, uh, we are so excited you're here. We're in this series called Say What? Misquoted Verses of the Bible, and I hope that you've been enjoying this series as much as I have. If you got your journals with you, hopefully you brought those back. Get those out. We're gonna be in week four of our journals. Uh, We use those every week to take notes as we go. And if you got your Bible with you, whether it's physical Bible or digital app on your phone, grab that. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. Today I have titled my message, Pigs and Pearls. Pigs and pearls. Uh, Maybe you know where I'm going with this. Our misquoted verse of the day is Matthew 7, verse 6, where Jesus says this. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. I was reading an article studying for this message and the writer of the article had a brilliant idea. He put this verse in front of a bunch of kids and asked them to interpret it. When Jesus says, hey, do not give your pearls to pigs, what do you think this means? What is Jesus really saying here? I brought a few of their responses with me. Uh, Jacob, he's six, he says, I would never give my sister my toy. You know, it's very clearly what Jesus is saying here. Do not give your pearls to pigs. The pearls are my toys. The pigs are my sister. I'm not giving my sister my toys. That makes sense, right? Wayne, he's nine. He says, don't give a smoker money to buy a good meal. They'll just buy more cigarettes. I laughed at this one for quite a bit, but then I was like, I was a little bit sad because somewhere he's learned this. And that was his response, so I was a little sad, but then, I mean, even that's kind of funny in and of itself. Jennifer, she's 10, she says, Jesus said, don't give your pearls to a pig because a pig is too dumb to understand what a pearl is worth. That's, that's pretty good, right? Pretty insightful for a 10-year-old. I think she came the closest. I continued to read this article, and the writer went on to argue for what I think is the most common interpretation of this verse. At the end, he shared his conclusion. He said, when Jesus says, don't throw your pearls to pigs, this is what he means. Do not waste your time preaching to those who are obviously hardened. 
Now, I think if, if we've heard this verse before or if we've used this verse before, chances are this is very similar to the way that we understand it. If I have preached to someone, in other words, if I have attempted to share the gospel with someone and they have not responded positively, maybe they responded very negatively, I shouldn't waste my time going any further. I shouldn't throw my pearls to pigs. Today, I wanna offer a very different interpretation of this verse. A, a quick aside, before we get into the text, I hope today's message, my goal is that today's message would challenge those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time. I am hoping to call some stuff out today that I think we in the church, especially those of us who have been in the church for a long time, have been guilty of. And so I hope that today we can come with open hands as, as Pastor Jeremy has talked about, and I hope that today we can be challenged to grow in a very important area. For those of you who are not yet following Jesus or maybe you've just been following Jesus for a short amount of time, I wanna say welcome to you. We are so glad that you're here, that you're a part of this and I think that this is an incredible community to be a part of if you're asking and wondering who is Jesus. You are welcome here. As I talk about the things I'm going to talk about today, you may have been negatively impacted by the two things that I am going to call out. And if that is the case, I want to apologize to you and I want to challenge us today as a community to do really well in these areas. All right, if you've got your spot in Matthew 7, would you pray with me and then we'll dive into the text together. God, we want to invite you to teach us this morning. God, as we look at this passage, I believe you through Jesus are calling out some things that the church has been guilty of. And I want to pray that we would individually feel challenged, that as a community we would feel challenged, and that we would grow in you. God, that through your teaching, by your spirit, by your conviction, we would grow to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you've got your spot in Matthew 7, Jesus in this passage is finishing up the most famous sermon of all time. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he is giving incredible insight on how to live if you want to seek after the kingdom of heaven. It's an incredible sermon. Now, in the sermon, however, he's going to begin calling out this topic of judgment, okay? And, and that's where we find ourselves in Matthew 7. Why I think this verse often gets misquoted is because it seems like it has nothing to do with what comes before it, so people kind of take it, pluck it out of its context, and interpret, interpret it in a way that seems to make sense, so let's keep the context in mind. Jesus is in this sermon. He's going to begin talking about judgment in Matthew 7, 1. Read with me. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be used to you. Now, I think this is a pretty famous verse as well. I think this one gets misquoted too. It's another buy one get one, because people think that this verse, this do not judge, is seemingly eradicating all forms of judgment. 
that any and all forms of judgment are bad and we shouldn't engage in them. But there's a problem with this. There's a very specific type of judgment that Jesus is calling out here. There's a very specific type of judgment he's addressing. Well, how do I know this? Let me create some tension and read to you something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He poses the question, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth, and the city of Corinth in the day, I mean, they were the sin city back in the day. A lot of stuff going on in the city of Corinth, and Paul is telling the Christians there, the church there, hey, it's not your business to judge those outside of the church. In other words, it's not your business to tell someone who's not a Christian to live like they are a Christian. We shouldn't expect people who don't follow Jesus to live like they do. it. This is not our business. But his follow-up question leads us to believe there are some people that we are supposed to judge. Are you not to judge those inside? Implying, yes, we are supposed to judge one another. But Jesus just said, do not judge one another. You feel the tension. What is going on? Well, I want to uh, give you the the word here for judge, okay? Because there's a few different ways that this word in Greek to judge someone, this action verb can be translated. The difficult part is it's always the same word. So context is absolutely key and Jesus is going to get there. But the way that this Greek word, it shows up, it's this Greek word krino. This is what it looks like in Greek, English transliteration. It's this Greek word krino. But the best translation in Matthew 7, 1, as Jesus says, do not judge one another, is to focus on the procedural and the principally pejorative aspect, mostly legal. <laughs> that was my response. Um, this was a really funny place for me to be. I'm feeling all fancy. I'm in my Greek lexicon studying. I'm like, I understand the Greek. Like, krino, I've heard that word. It means to judge. I've got the Greek. I have no idea what the English is saying. That was just a, a, a funny place to be. Let me, let me give you an alternative definition. This is to, to find someone in contempt and to pursue them with disapproval. This is to pass judgment on someone, key word, with authority. This is to say, I disapprove of what you do. I have the authority to say what you are doing is wrong and like a good legal judge, I get to determine the consequences for your actions. If you follow this type of judgment long enough, it can even result in condemnation. This is authoritative judgment making where we decide you are in, you are out, these people are in, they are out. But I think as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, we are not supposed to be defined by judgment. We are supposed to be defined by forgiveness. Why would I put those two words together? One chapter earlier, same sermon, Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching his people how to pray, and he tells them to pray this. God, forgive us as we have forgiven others. 
Same sermon, he fast forwards and he says, God is going to judge us as we have judged others. There's a seeming correlation here that to the extent that we want to be forgiven, we must be people who are practicing forgiveness. And to the extent that we don't want to experience this type of judgment, we must refrain from judging one another in this way. Jesus is calling out the authoritative judgment that we've all seen or heard about or maybe experienced in the church. Maybe we've been a part of it. And Jesus says, do not judge one another in this way. Hopefully you're asking, well, what about the other type of judgment? What about the type of judgment that Paul alluded to in his question, aren't we supposed to judge one another in the church? Well, it's the same Greek word, different definition. That is behavior evaluation, much simpler to understand. Behavior evaluation. If you keep reading in the next couple verses in Matthew 7, Jesus is going to move now from this authoritative judgment to behavior evaluation. But a very important side note at all the campuses, this type of judgment, this behavior evaluation is supposed to take place with those in the church, all right? So say that with me at all of our, camps, at all of our campuses. When we evaluate behavior, it's for those in the church. Keep reading with me, Matthew 7, three through four. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Guys, I love the way that Jesus taught. He, he would somehow have a group of people laughing and feeling convicted at the same time. I think that's incredibly difficult to do. If you're not getting the hilarious image that he's setting up here, let me help you out. This guy says, hey, I think I've got something in my eye. And this guy with a, with a big plank in his eye says, hey, don't worry, let me help you out. You see how ridiculous this looks. And what's even better is this isn't even exactly how Jesus tells the story. In Jesus' example, this guy's just minding his own business when this guy comes along and says, hey, you've got something in your eye. Let me, let me help you out with that. There, there's a word for this type of behavior and it's called hypocrisy. Now, I think if, if we would reflect on how the church, the church has been negatively viewed by those who aren't in the church. Two words I know I've heard are we can be judgmental and we can be hypocritical. And if you look at how Christians are portrayed on TV shows, they're either, either you know, they're judgmental or they're hypocritical. Or, or for my office fans, you have Angela, who's both. You know, I, when I moved from from Chicago to Portland, I had to make one of the most difficult transitions of my life. I had to find a new barber, okay? Um, for those of you with beards, you understand the struggle here, okay? Um, my barber was like my favorite person. We talked a lot, shared a lot. Um, coming here, didn't know how to go through the process of barber shopping. And I came to, to one, one of the first barbers I went to, and we were just engaging in the small talk. 
And I'm not really sure how this came up. I was not trying to share my faith with her. It was, it was literally a small talk. But she had told me that she had a relative who works for the church. And she began talking about him. And she didn't use these words. But if I would have asked two words that would have described this person, she would have said, judgmental, and he's hypocritical. And I, I think this is how people outside of the church can often view those inside of the church. And I could tell in this conversation with her that if she would have kept going, I mean, she just had a very bad taste in her mouth when it came to the church, especially when it came to those who worked in the church. For those of you who are wondering, she did eventually ask me, what do you do? <laughs> it, it did happen. But, but church, I think Jesus knows our propensity towards hypocrisy. I mean, if you're writing something now, I think Jesus knows our propensity towards hypocrisy. Three times in the previous chapter, same sermon, Matthew 6, Jesus is giving instructions and three times he says, do not be like the hypocrites. When, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. When you give, don't be like the hypocrites. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. I think Jesus knows our propensity towards hypocrisy and he warns us about bringing that hypocrisy into conflict. He warns us about addressing the sins of others before we address our own sins. The, the pastor, Olin Stubbs, he kind of summarizes this. He puts it in a really good quote um, that I think hits home. It's very practical and it's gonna bring some conviction, so buckle up. He says, even if we think our spouse is 99% wrong and we are only 1% wrong, and just a heads up, this is typically where I hang out, right here. <laughs> One to 2% wrong, okay? But even if that's the case, we should first turn our energy and our effort on our own sin, the sin closest to us, the sin we are responsible for. We got some spouses in here who aren't looking at each other. <laughs> How are you guys doing? I don't think this is just for, for marriage, I think this is just for relationships. I think before we are addressing the sins of those around us, we must be turning inward. And where do I have something in my eye? This is the prayer of David throughout the Psalms. He, he's constantly saying, God, search me and know me. Point out if there is any offensive ways in me. He's trying to address his own sin. Now, once we have addressed our own sin, then we get to the next verse, Matthew 7, 5. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We are supposed to go and help our brothers and sisters deal with the specks in their eyes, but we must reflect on our own sin first, deal with our own sin first. So before we get to our, our misquoted verse of the day, let, let's just summarize where we're at here. Jesus is saying, do not make grandiose authoritative judgments that these people are in, you are out. We are not supposed to judge in this way, but we are supposed to evaluate behavior, approach people one-on-one -on -one after we have dealt with our own sin first. Now, if, if, as you look at both of these compared to one another, I think if we were honest 
and we did a critical reflection on how the church has done in these areas, I think we often flip-flop these, right? I think we can make grandiose authoritative judgments. And, and sometimes we evaluate behavior, but very rarely do we approach people one-on-one. And I would say even less frequently do we do that after we've dealt with our own sin. And Paul says that we are supposed to restore others with gentleness. This was Pastor Jeremy's message last week. We are supposed to restore others with gentleness. This, this one-on-one, this approaching it with as few people as possible and, and restoring others with gentleness. This is almost a, a prequel to that. Before you restore someone with gentleness, you must deal with your own sin first. And imagine how different that conversation looks with that person you're confronting if you've done that. If you've excavated a tree, a plank from your own eye. If you know the the difficult process that it is, the battle that it is, the struggle against sin that it is, to go through that, if you've dealt with that, imagine how much more empathy and compassion and humility you will bring to that confrontational conversation James says that when we engage in this process, we cover a multitude of sins. That's the context. That's what's going on here in Matthew 7, 6. And so read Matthew 7, 6 with me. Jesus says, do not give to dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. And do not throw your pearls to pigs. First things first, what, what are these pearls in this situation? And Jesus tells a parable elsewhere that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who searches for fine pearls. And eventually he comes across the most valuable pearl he's ever seen and he goes and he sells everything that he has and he goes and he buys this one pearl. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this pearl of infinite and value, infinite worth, infinite value. I would say in this scenario that the pearl is symbolic of the gospel, this good news about Jesus that we have, yet Jesus makes it seem like there are some people that we should not share this good news with, otherwise we'll be trampled. The question is, and I think what gets misquoted here, is who are the pigs? Who are these people we shouldn't be sharing our faith with? The most The most common way this passage gets interpreted is to call those who are non-religious, those who are unchurched, those who are maybe even anti-Jesus, those are the pigs. Be careful on how you share your faith with them because you might get trampled in the process. I want to offer a different interpretation. I don't think that the pigs in this scenario are the unchurched, non-religious people we think they are. I would argue that the pigs are the most religious people of the day. I think they were the people who, who thought they had all the right answers, the, the people who had been preaching in the synagogues for the longest, the people who should have seen Jesus coming from a mile away, yet they missed him altogether. I propose that these were the pigs. 
And if you think about the way that this should have gone down, the relationship between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, what everyone would have expected is for Jesus to show up on the scene and say, way to go. Well done, good and faithful leaders. Look at how well you are doing what I've called you to do. I'm here and I get to do it with you now. Isn't that what those of us who are are Christian leaders, isn't that what we wanna hear? Jesus to say, well done, I'm so proud of you, you've been so faithful. But that's not the story of Jesus as he approaches these religious leaders. You read the accounts of his life, he's constantly calling them out on being two things. Hopefully you can guess them by now. They're judgmental and they're hypocritical. They, they make authoritative judgments that they do not have the authority to make and they hold other people to standards that they themselves do not hold up to. They are authoritative, they are judgmental, they are hypocritical. I think they had gotten themselves into a place where where religion, where where the pursuit of God had become a job to them. And this is where I think there is a warning for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time. Those of us who have become leaders in the church, those of us who do a lot for Jesus, I think there's a warning here for us. In, in June of, of 2014, it was a pretty busy month for me. I, I got married, it's a pretty big deal, thank you. I went on staff at a church and I transferred into my four-year Bible program. Same month, I was not a wise person at that time. I got, well, my wife is great, but everything else, same time, wasn't great. Fast forward into that, a, just a few months, I'm trying my best to be a good husband, a good pastor, a good student, and I don't know the exact situation. I can't remember if I was just extra agitated or, or self-absorbed. I'm not really sure what was going on. But late in the evening, my wife looked at me and asked me with a, a somewhat, I just, the look on her face, pretty distraught. She asked me, when was the last time you read your Bible? It's an interesting question. Um, I took it very literally, okay, very literally, puffed up my chest and said, oh, it's funny you should ask. I've read the entire Gospel of John and the entire book of Revelation this week. I'm writing papers on both of those. I've been in Genesis practicing for my sermon this week in student ministries. And I've also been looking at Job. I've got a paper due in two weeks for that. Just kind of, I don't think she liked my answer very much. Uh, you see, I, I'm, I'm positive of this. She helped me realize that that wasn't what she was asking. I, I think in that moment, she, she was not saying, hey, when was the last time you read your Bible? My wife was asking me, when is the last time that you were just with Jesus? You're doing a lot for him. You look like you're spending a lot of time with him. But when was the last time you were actually with Jesus? I think it's assumed that the more we do for God, the closer we are to God. But, but my experience in becoming a student and interning and going on staff at a church and the longer I followed Jesus, my experience has taught me that the more we do for God and the longer we've been following him, the more leadership we have, the default setting becomes distance, not nearness. If we are not careful, the default setting becomes distance, not nearness. 
I do not think this verse is, is asking us to give up on those who don't follow Jesus. I think he is asking us to battle against our own judgment, our own hypocrisy. Jesus calls both of these behaviors out in Matthew 7 and then says, do not throw your pearls to pigs. Do not throw your pearls to these kinds of people or else you will be trampled. I believe Jesus is warning us that we are at risk of becoming the pigs. And if you think about it, it makes sense because the longer we follow Jesus, hopefully the more like Jesus we are becoming and at the very end, the more we look like Jesus, the easier it is to look down on those who don't. In comes the judgment and in comes the hypocrisy. And if you're here today and, and you're saying, I want to battle against these things, I do not want these to be in control of my life, I think the question my wife asked me that one night, all those years ago, was so profound. I think that we must intentionally pursue time with Jesus. Emphasis on time with Jesus. Because you can do a lot of things that look like you're doing time with Jesus. You can do a lot of stuff for Jesus and you can miss completely time with him. So for you, if time with Jesus does look like you sitting down and reading your Bible, that's amazing. If that's prayer for you, awesome. If that's worship or, or community or meditation or any number of things for you. Pastor Jeremy last week said that Jesus is with us. We can, we can be with him whenever we want to. Whatever that looks like for you, that's great. But we can do all those things and not be with Jesus. I want to challenge us as a community to fight against being judgmental, to fight against being hypocritical by intentionally pursuing time with Jesus. Now, before I close, I just want to address one final thing. Hopefully you're, you're with me. You, you, you might say, okay, I got it. In this verse, it's, it's the religious leaders it's the people who think they have it all together but don't. It's those who are wrongly authoritative and judgmental and hypocritical. Those are the pigs. I should not throw my pearls to them, should not share the gospel with them. I got it. What if I said it's worth the risk to even throw your pearls to those Hopefully you'd object and you'd say, well, Jesus just said we shouldn't throw our pearls to those people. He did say that. He would also eventually do something else that really makes me wrestle with the idea of not throwing our pearls to anybody regardless of who those people are. Jesus would eventually experience death on a cross even for those people. And I'm glad he did because I was one of those people. Hopefully we as people who follow Jesus could confess that we were one of those people. And Jesus would pursue death even for them. Jesus risked getting trampled. In fact, I'd argue he knew he was going to get trampled in the process, yet still gave everything that he had to pursue them. This is our example. In Jesus, we have the fullness of God revealed to us on the cross, and it looks like someone who radically loves others risks everything in the process, and this is how Jesus invites us to love other people also, to risk getting trampled. 
Therefore, this is how I propose we view this verse. This is my conclusion as opposed to the conclusion I shared in the beginning. I think that don't throw your pearls to pigs is not an excuse to no longer share the gospel with those that we have deemed pigs, regardless of at the end of the day who we say these pigs were. I don't think that this is an excuse to no longer share the gospel with them. I think Jesus is giving us a warning against becoming the pigs. I think Jesus is challenging us to be people who battle against being judgmental, who battle against being hypocritical, and ultimately to pursue being worthy of the pearl that is the gospel. I think Jesus is saying you need to wrestle with these because he knows our propensity to go these directions, so battle against them and become worthy of the pearl that he is giving us. At all of our campuses, we're gonna close with a song, and I want to pray the chorus of this song over you because I think it is an incredible response to the challenge I see Jesus offering us in these verses. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Help us to love with open arms like you do. God, would you give us a love that erases lines and sees truth so that when people look at us, they would see you even in just the way we smile, they would feel your love. God, we want to be a people known and marked by love love that does not divide people into us and them categories, but instead love that brings about unity and inclusion into your kingdom. God, when people think about us as we represent you, don't let words like judgmental or hypocritical come to mind. God, when people think about us, would you bring words to mind like love and mercy and humility Would this be what people see in us? God, through us, we want your love to be made evident as we make the gospel good news for those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.